Welcome to the Pro-Life Team Podcast. I'm Jacob Barr. I'm here with Ann O'Connor, and we're going to be talking about legal concerns with, with new laws and current laws and just sort of the outlook that we currently have in our country in regards to pregnancy clinics. So Ann, I'm excited to have you on the Pro-Life Team Podcast. Would you introduce yourself as if you were talking to a couple uh, pregnancy clinic leadership teams? Great. Thanks, Jacob, for inviting me. My name is Ann O'Connor. I'm the Vice President of Legal Affairs at NIFLA. NIFLA stands for the National Institute of Family and Life Advocates, and we're the legal medical arm of the pregnancy center movement. Um, we have about 1,600 centers that are members. And we started about 30 years ago because we saw there was a real need to help centers cross their T's and dot their I's in the legal aspects. And also it grew into the medical um, as centers were converting to medical. So that's what NIFLA specializes in. I've been with them for about 28 years. I'm an attorney. I'm licensed in California and in New Jersey. And then Tom Glessner is our founder and president, and he's an attorney as well, mm. licensed in Washington and the state of Virginia. And then um, we have one other attorney. She's just coming on full-time this month. Um, her name is Angie Thomas, and she is from Louisiana. And she ran a pregnancy center, a big pregnancy center in New Orleans for the last 12 years. So she comes with a lot of practical experience. Awesome. Yeah, and uh, I'm going to be at your conference this next week. I'm sure this video will probably get done way after that, but uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you and Tom and your team in person. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for coming. We're excited about it. Yeah. And so um, so what do, I guess I, I want to ask you about the Dobbs ruling, but I also want to ask you about like what's currently happening and you know, in the legal world, that that uh, pregnancy clinics um, should be aware of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Dobbs decision. I mean, the leak just threw us off, mm. right? Um, and the fact that we don't know who the leaker is still really just sounds a little fishy. Mm. Um, the Dobbs decision itself, I thought Justice Alito did an incredible job writing it even where a layperson could read it and understand it. And basically, you know, he said, there's no right to an abortion in the constitution. You can't even like look between the lines and find a right to an abortion. And the fact that it takes uh, the life of a human being puts it in a different realm than any other of those privacy rights, like rights for contraceptives or, um, even same-sex marriage, any of those. So it was refreshing to read his opinion, um, but it kind of triggered a lot of chaos, right? Because what it did was yeah. it sent it back to each state to decide, and it's just been on fire since. And the what we didn't... Uh, really contemplate is the violence and hatred against pregnancy centers that would result because of it. 
So that was a little bit shocking. Since May, since the leaked decision, I think it's up to 70 pregnancy centers have been vandalized. A good handful of them have even been firebombed. There has not been one arrest that we're aware of. Really? Not one? Mm -mm. Is that, and that's, that's, that based on all the clinics that are being attacked, it, it would seem like they would have surveillance videos or or in-person witnesses. Um, and so the fact that there's no arrest seems like, are these, is that because it, the, the prosecutors won't prosecute or what's the, what's the thought there? Well, um, it's hard to tell. The FBI is telling us they're investigating it under the FACE Act, which is the same act as freedom to access to clinics. Um, clinic entrances face. And there it's the same law that they used to prosecute um, pro-life protests um, that interfere with abortion clinic operations. Really? Um, they told us that we our centers qualify as reproductive health centers because we're dealing with reproductive health issues, and therefore they are investigating it under face, which means there would be a criminal prosecution. Um, we're not, you know, if there were 70 Planned Parenthoods that had been attacked since May, you bet there would be arrests. You'd have the president talking about it, and you know, the DOJ talking about it, and be on the media constantly. You'd hear crickets mm. about these centers, yeah. But pregnancy centers have taken steps to provide security for themselves, including security cameras um, and um, just, you know, policies and procedures in place so that um, no one's working alone at the center. They're very careful about going out to the parking lot. Um, and we anticipate during the elections in November, it will heat up again. So we're telling pregnancy centers, please be on the alert. Some of them hired security guards. Some of them had volunteer patrols. Um, and there, there is video, but it, it's the attacks have been done at night under the cover of dark with hoods and masks. So it's been hard to identify them perhaps. Yeah, that makes sense. Especially when it comes to, yeah, they're hooded and it's dark, that would, yeah, that's interesting. Um, so, wow. So one one of the thoughts that comes to mind that I want to ask you about is, you know, with your with the work that you do, and now there's every state has its has its own makeup of legal, well, laws that are now in place. How are you ma managing that? And like, what's your your current thoughts on? The, you know, the state of our country is it, it probably is a bit overwhelming to say the least based on doing something with that many different variables. Um, yeah, it definitely is overwhelming. Um, luckily, our focus is pregnancy centers. So for pregnancy centers, nothing's changed too much. That's they true. still are helping women who are facing unplanned pregnancy. So whether they're in the state that bans abortion or in a state like California that allows abortion even after birth, um, that's still our main focus. Um, but what's happened is the different states have 
attack pregnancy centers. Like you probably all heard Senator Warren in Massachusetts has gone after pregnancy centers terribly. The attorney general in Massachusetts has issued a consumer alert about pregnancy centers. Um, so we're seeing more and more things like that. Different, um, different cities actually, and Los Angeles is um, looking into one now, an ordinance that would prevent pregnancy centers from fraudulently advertising. Those have been passed in several cities in Massachusetts. Um, and they've been, there's federal legislation that Senator Warren has um, sponsored that says the same thing. Mm. Um, yeah, so you mentioned, uh, when you mentioned the perinatal abortions in California, I remember they had like a, there was a law, and I forget the numbers right now, but there was a law that they passed within the last eight months, and it was protecting that, and they, and they keep saying it's not abortion after birth, but that's, perinatal means like one to 30 days, or some period of time after birth, that's the perinatal Correct. age, and there's like yep. no investigation on on the on the why or what you know what caused no. the death no um i mean california is yeah. off the charts off the charts i feel bad for pregnancy centers in california um and newsom is even putting up billboards in surrounding states and quoting the bible yeah saying Please come to it. us for abortion Ah, it's just so disturbing to see, you know, because, you know, he's mocking Jesus or God. And that is, you know, it, yeah, that's just, um, that's going to come back to him. Right. I mean, we're really seeing how, you know, how people are calling evil good and good evil now. You know, it's like so clear. Yeah, I, I just never, have, I couldn't have imagined someone using words of Jesus to defend the idea of come to California for an abortion, but that's literally right. what, like, that's what he did. Right. Like, that, I mean, like, yeah. Satan quoted the Bible too. That's right? true. Yeah. He quoted the Bible when he was tempting Jesus and for the 40 days. So. Yeah. He, he did it more than once. That's right. That was his, mm -hmm. like, yeah, using God's word to try and deceive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it didn't, I'm not sure if that's what, it didn't really feel like Newsom was doing that. It felt like he was trying to just like sucker punch people in the, in, in those states. Like it felt more like a, a like a, a visceral attack against right. and believers um, in that space. Um Right. more so than trying to use it as like a yeah as a, a puzzle or a mind twist like satan did to jesus i think but yeah it, it's similar they it was the same tactic but i think it was used a little bit differently uh -huh. and then it seems like california had so many laws passed like i think it's like 14 or so i i don't even know what the number is but they've passed so many abortion focused laws and has any other state had that you know yeah i guess which states are almost as active as california i don't i have no idea i see a lot of what's happening in california but i don't, I don't quite know if anyone else is actually as active in the scene new york is really bad and they also passed a bill that will go after pregnancy centers 
It authorizes the um, Division of Consumer Affairs to do a whole big investigation of pregnancy centers, only pro-life ones, and you know, find out how they're funded, what information they give out, how they advertise, what kind of clients they're seeing. And then they're supposed to prepare a report on how to best regulate these pregnancy centers. Wow. Vermont, like a, Vermont yeah. is bad too. Okay. Vermont has on the ballot, so does California, um, to put abortion in their state constitutions, the right to abortion. Is abortion, do you know if it's in any state constitution currently? I have, I really don't know the answer to that one. Um, I think several Supreme uh, state Supreme Courts have interpreted their state constitutions to include the right to abortion. Okay. Um, and I think even Alaska is one of those states. So, yeah. You said that was it Vermont that was looking to, and actually looking to use a statement that would use the word abortion and add it as an uh, addendum to their constitution or? I I think without having it from me, I think it, it's more like, you know, reproductive rights are a constitutional okay. right. Okay. Yeah. And that's, mm -hmm. that makes sense. Um, mm -hmm. Wow. So with all this going on, I guess, what, are, you know, how do you prioritize or what is your thoughts on where to, yeah, it just feels like the, the number of things to look at has increased. So how, how do you currently figure out where to spend your time? Right. That's a good question. Uh, because I don't really feel like I get to decide. I feel like it's just like the fire hose coming at me and whatever is aimed at me right now is what we're focusing on. You know, Google and Yelp were up to no good about advertising. You certainly know that. Um, you know, all this state legislation against pregnancy center, the Senator Warren doing all her stuff against pregnancy centers, and then the media. The media, you know, is not friendly to us. So we help centers navigate whether they sh should even bother to do an interview with the media who are knocking at their doors. So every, every day seems to be something. It's definitely a battle, right? Um, yeah. And it, it seems like for, for Princeton clinics that are a member of NIFLA, they get to rely on you to figure out all of the fire hose information to a degree, and then they get to bring you their concerns, in which case you can then focus on their concerns, I'm sure. Um, but mm -hmm. it seems like for those, for groups that are a member of NIFLA, like that probably gives them at least some level of peace of mind that your, you and your team are actively trying to figure this out and working mm -hmm. on these, all these pieces. Um, is there any other group that's similar to NIFLA that's like the legal, you know, defense group for pregnancy clinics that are, it seems like NIFLA is the only group that I know of that does this, where like ADF is more of like a Christian legal group, more so than focused on mm -hmm. like the way NIFLA is to pregnancy clinics. Right. Yeah. NIFLA's main and only focus is pregnancy centers. ADF yeah. is incredible. We rely on them a lot. They represent us in cases. Um, and they're too, I was just on their website today to do some research. They're fighting in so many arenas. It's amazing. Thank God for them. Yeah. Um, and I know pregnancy centers have been represented by them. There's several great 
pro-life Christian attorney networks, you know, Thomas More, Life Legal Defense Fund, um, Pacific Justice, The Liberty. Uh, there's some great, great groups, ACLJ. Um, so we're, we're grateful for that. Um, but our, our focus is not so much in litigation. Our focus is in helping centers so they avoid litigation, you know, so they avoid any kind of gap in their services that could cause them any liability. So for an example, um, we're real concerned about the centers when they're doing ultrasounds that they have well-trained staff and really tight policies and procedures for doing ultrasounds because our biggest risk there is missing an ectopic pregnancy. Um, we're doing scans very early, like women are just finding out they're pregnant and they're thinking about getting the abortion pill. So we say, you know, come in, mate, let's make sure you're even pregnant first before you go down that. So we're doing scans very early and sometimes we don't see anything or we're not, we're not able to confirm a pregnancy at that scan. Um, but, you know, that kind of leaves her in limbo. Like we haven't confirmed a pregnancy. She has a positive test. You know, we have to be very careful about an ectopic pregnancy. So that's the kind of thing NIFLA does all the research on, creates policies and procedures, um, analyzes other cases and is able to tell centers here, here's a really good set of policies and procedures, implement this. Make sure your, your sonographers are highly trained and skilled and that they've been assessed as competent. Uh, it's not like anyone can pick up an ultrasound wand and do an ultrasound. <laughs> You know, it's, it's, a, it's a medical test and RDMSs who are sonographer tech, techs, they go to school for like two years for it and have to pass national boards. So it's a, it's a big skill to learn and it can be learned according to A1 guidelines by nurses um, very um, effectively, but they have to be well, well-trained. So if someone had a positive pregnancy test and they come in very early for the ultrasound and it's, you know, it, it, you know, it's, and it essentially it sounds like it's too early to detect with the ultrasound because it's very early. Would the, would the normal response be to come back in two weeks or in some period of time to do another ultrasound or what would be the normal response to that, that mm -hmm. situation? Yeah, so it varies with what her LMP was and what we're seeing when we do the ultrasound, but we probably wouldn't wait two weeks. The only time we would wait two weeks for a scan is if we confirmed an intrauterine pregnancy. We saw the gestational sac, we saw the yolk sac in the uterus. Then, then we know there's not an ectopic floating out there. So then come back in a week or two and we'll scan again and you'll see the heartbeat, you know? Okay. But if it's earlier than that and we can't confirm, you know, a few things are in the womb, then we'd have them come back in a, in a couple of days. Okay. Um, and, you know, we'd send them with ectopic and miscarriage precautions. If you start bleeding or you start cramping, do not ignore it. Call your physician right away. Go to the emergency room if it's bad. Yeah, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. And that's why you're there with that great information. And well, in the medical teams would have that great information to, yeah, to have the follow-up mm -hmm. at the appropriate time. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so, so when it comes to the, 
the the current legal world, what's another what's one of the things that seems to be coming at you and that you're having to work on or that you feel like pregnancy clinics would need to know about or you know that or maybe they do know about, but you maybe could share some more about. Yeah. Well, one big thing is the whole HIPAA medical privacy, right? Uh, and and the pro boards are making a lot of accusations saying, oh, pregnancy centers don't have to keep your information confidential. They're going to share it with law enforcement, um, you know, all baloney. But for years, we've been training pregnancy centers to comply with HIPAA. Technically, unless a medical facility is billing or communicating with health plans electronically, technically, HIPAA doesn't apply. Um, but it's standard in the industry. And, you know, we want to protect patients' health information. So we're very strict about that. We have a whole set of HIPAA policies and procedures. One big area is texting. You know, centers are very relational. So they want to communicate as much as possible with their clients. And texting is usually not a secure way to do that. So we have to just make sure we're following through, getting written permission from the client to text, not texting, PHI, things like that. Yeah, we were, um, there's a software called Live Chat, and it, it's like a chat program that's on a website. And in order for it to be HIPAA, well, part of our HIPAA compliance, besides, well, several several steps that come along with that software, one was to have a disclaimer, essentially because that chat software is not much different than an SMS text level um, concern. And so essentially, <laughs> the idea is, you know, do you agree to this? And they have to hit yes or no. If they hit yes, then it will the, the chat will proceed. If they hit no, then the chat will stop. And the idea is to try and have that agreement before the chat will even begin. That was something that we just recently mm -hmm. applied to a clinic. Mm. Um, and anyway, anyway, all that to say is, uh, it makes sense to ask for someone's permission if it, if you know if they you know if they accept you know that um, passing it over SMS. Um, yeah. Yeah. Or something. something Definitely. Like SMS. Yeah. Um, and HIPAA seems like. Yeah, it seems, it seems like the the groups that are yeah, performing the yeah the billing for services or they're in a more whole women's healthcare model are going they're under HIPAA and then those that are under like limited ultrasound with STI testing and pregnancy tests with the free model are technically not under HIPAA but some will or many will um, voluntarily. Um, follow those guidelines, but they're at the same time, not technically under those guidelines. Right. And we, we would urge every, yeah. Oh, good. Mm -hmm. We would urge every single center to comply with HIPAA. It's not that difficult, especially if you're not billing, if you're doing billing, then that's a whole other IT area. Right. But, um, it, it's not that hard to comply with HIPAA it includes training. You have to point a privacy officer that's usually the nurse manager you have to have protocols in place um, but state law can pull a center under HIPAA um, so you know they have to know their state law as well like in California the state law pulls the centers under HIPAA they can't say oh no we're voluntarily complying no you are under HIPAA you have to comply with the state and the federal law yeah 
And so it seems like, yeah. And so I guess I'm not familiar with California's position on that as much. I know Texas has like special rules for like every mm -hmm. clinic is under their HB 300, which is mm -hmm. HIPAA plus a little bit. Um, and then, yeah. So yeah. So how, how would someone get pulled into being under HIPAA in California? Like what, what would that scenario look like? Well, the law says if you collect private health information, PHI, you have to comply with the law. Okay. That's basically what it says. It doesn't, it's so under the federal HIPAA, it defines a covered entity, one that has to comply with HIPAA as someone who communicates electronically with health plans, bills electronically. Um, and so there's like eight categories that are all in that realm. And most centers don't bill. Um, but if you're in a state like California, it, it defines covered entity very broadly. Any entity that collects private health information is, must comply with the privacy laws. Okay. Yeah. So that, that's very broad, more so than billing. That's, um, uh -huh. oh, wow. That's a lot to think about. Uh -huh. So I guess if, if for those who are listening in California, this is probably a good time to email Anne and add to her inbox of 500. <laughs> uh. um, yeah, actually, be, so it, let's say someone's in California, they, they're under, they're currently not under HIPAA or thinking they're not under HIPAA, but maybe they really should be, or maybe they really are. What would, would that be reasonable for them to reach out to someone on your team? Or what would you suggest that they do if they're in that situation? Yeah. So we did research in every single state and we have a memo on every single state on the members website, NIFLA website. So they could log in there, pull down their state law and read it, see if it complies. And it will tell them, um, you know, what, what steps to take. Um, so that would be a good place to start. That makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, it seems like most pregnancy clinics are a member of NIFLA. There's very few that seem to not be. Um, I guess I don't know we what have percentages, but is it like 60% yeah. or 70 are members of NIFLA or is it, it's a lot at least. I know it's a lot. Well, we have 1600 members and we love okay. all of them. About 1400 are medical facilities. Okay. So we still have a good handful that, that aren't medical, probably won't ever go medical, don't need to go medical. Um, still doing great work. So we, um, that's why we focus on the medical and the legal. So there's something for both kinds of centers. Okay. So it looks like maybe about half of the, is it 3000 clinics that are in the U S or roughly? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Between 2,700 and 3000 I've heard. Okay. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Um, yeah. So so going back to that leak and the fact that the person that leaked it was not identified, that that's, just, that's still a bit shocking that it's not been totally. figured out because like that's that's a major leak. Like that's a, I mean, that's like totally. a top level leak. Yeah, and I have a bet on it too and I'd like to collect on my bet who it was. <laughs> so but, collect um, until they figure it out, I guess. Verify <laughs> mm -hmm. it. <laughs> So I, I don't, I mean, 
the Supreme Court opened their doors, you know, since COVID, this is the first term now that we can go back in. I don't know if they're just planning never to tell us if they haven't figured it out yet. Seems like it would be appropriate for this to be public information. It was a crime. Uh, I don't know if the person will be prosecuted, but. Yeah. So are, are, are you willing to share what you're, who you're betting on <laughs> or is that, is that private? Because it's probably a little bit, you don't want to make an accusation that's maybe not founded and yeah, I mean, that might be inappropriate well, perhaps. I don't know. First of all, I, half of your viewers probably think it's inappropriate that I have the bet on it. So, <laughs> but um, I bet it was a law clerk from Yale or Harvard who's clerking for Sotomayor. Okay. That was my bet. Um, the, another person bet it was a clean lady who oh, found okay. a copy, got paid a sum to give it over. Yeah. So if you win the bet, what is, I mean, what, what are the stakes? Is it, um, you know, or who, who are you betting? Um, that might be interesting too. <laughs> yeah, we bet 50 bucks and we would donate to each other's organizations, whoever oh, won. Very good. <laughs> Everyone could agree that that's a good, that's a good, that's a good way to spend the, the winnings. <laughs> <laughs> um so so next week is the or this week i'm sorry this week is the nifla conference and so yeah um so t tell me like how are you what are you looking forward to this week or what do you mm. i guess we'll focus on the positives <laughs> yeah well i mean it's our annual conference we always have you know wonderful people coming it's great to see good friends Again, we have some great speakers this year. Um, Professor Lincoln from Regent University, she speaks every year. She is a dynamo. And one night, and she's a professor of the law school there at Regent. And one night, she arranged to have 80 law students come and meet with the lawyers and the executive directors who are going to be at the conference in kind of like a speed dating kind of scenario where they move from table to table and ask when I'm at a law school, what can I do to help? What are your priorities? What kind of legal challenges are you facing? So it's a great, it's, we're trying to get more law students with the vision of being involved with the pregnancy center after they graduate, either, either on the board or serving somehow. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's, mm -hmm. wow, what a, what a wonderful thing to try and grow. Yeah, our legal mm -hmm. team. Into the future. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah. So, so, Anne, we, one of my one of my last questions would be: Is working in this you know legal space for so many years? What's a story that you can think of where you have seen like God's fingerprints? And I can think of a few that I can consider you know connect to you and Nifla. But what are what's a story that comes to your mind when you see God working through you know through these through this effort and sort of bringing things together in His way? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I see it almost every day, Jacob, when I help pregnancy centers convert to medical, because a center will have existed for a while doing the resource part of it, but they're not seeing all the clients they want to see. And so there's, a, you know, what can we do next? And the, but they're in that it's a big leap to go medical. Should we really? And then the Knights of Columbus will call them and say, hey, we like to raise money 
for to buy an ultrasound machine for you. And they go, oh, and then a doctor will come to their banquet and be inspired and go up and tell the executive director, hey, I'd like to be your medical director. Like think like God just like wow. arranges wow. the dominoes that need to happen. So that that's almost like every day. But one of the biggest, biggest things, and I, I tell this story all the time just to encourage centers is back in the 90s, the Right to Life League of Southern California got sued for practicing medicine without a license. And I was on the board then. And what we were doing was just basically urine pregnancy testing. We were actually sending the clients to a lab because it was before the instant dipstick ones. And um, she would come back a week later and we'd hand her the results of her urine pregnancy test from the lab. And an attorney, probably many people are familiar with a very feminist attorney, her name's Gloria Allrad in California. She sued the Right to Life League for a bunch of things like we falsely imprison clients, we intentionally inflict emotional distress on them, um, but also for practicing medicine without a license. So we go through trial, um, everything else is thrown out except the judge rules, yeah, you're giving a pregnancy test um, result, that's practicing medicine, you have to be licensed to do that. And we all sat around the table going, how are we gonna do that? You know, this is going to shut us down. I'm sure that's what Gloria hoped for, you know. So as we're brainstorming, we're like, well, you know, if we have to be medical, let's figure out how hard it is to go medical. And in California, there's a whole licensing of primary care clinics that you follow. So we started licensing clinics. And then we said, well, this is a lot of work to do just for a pregnancy test. What else can we do? And it was at that time that ultrasound was being more readily available. And guidelines were being promoted where nurses could be trained to do it. So we said, let's add ultrasound. Uh, and, you know, now there's six, at least, let's see, of the 2,700, I think 75% are medical facilities offering ultrasound. There's a lot of clinics nationwide offering ultrasound since that lawsuit. So what I tell people is, I, Gloria Allred went to my law school. We went to Loyola law school in Los Angeles. And one day I want to go to a, an alumni event and I'm going to hunt her down and I'm just going to shake her hand and say, Gloria, I just want to thank you because what you meant for evil, God used for good for the saving of many lives. And that is the truth. I've seen that over and over again in the pro-life movement. What we think is evil coming at us, God just used to either strengthen us, to steer us in a different direction. So. Um, she got a measly $40,000 of attorney's fees out of us, which was a lot back then. Um, but it was, it was worth the return on investment because look at the lives saved by women just seeing their babies on a screen. Opening that window to the womb makes all the difference for women. Yeah, ultrasounds are, yeah, they have, yeah. I mean, it, the percentage of women that will choose life because of the imagery that's seen inside of their womb is what, what percent do you think it might what, what do you think it does to the, you know when, when someone is able to go from hearing things to actually seeing yeah, how, mm -hmm. how, would you, how would you measure that impact that it has 
Well, the statistics say like 70% to 80% of women who were really seriously thinking about abortion, once they saw their baby on the screen and realized it's not a blob of tissue, it has a heartbeat, it changes their decision like that. And especially if their boyfriend or their husband is with them seeing it, they, they, the, the male almost gets it quicker. Like he sees it and he goes, that's my baby, you know? So we have to do a better job at reaching the partner uh, in these situations because no woman chooses abortion because it's a great option. She chooses it because she feels like she has no other choice. And that's not choice, you know? So if we had the men involved in supporting her, that would make all the difference in the world. Yeah. And it, it seems like the ultrasound mixed with someone that cares and that listening posture, um, like mm -hmm. that's like the, yeah, the perfect setup. And then it, and it seems like, um, abortion pill reversal is, is posture to have like a similar outcome to that of the ultrasound machine, because it's helping us reach a group that was before APR was really hard to provide hope to. And mm -hmm. now there's a way to provide a, a positive response um, to someone who's taken the abortion pill and mm -hmm. there's a way for them to respond, you know, whether it results in life or in failure, either way, it results in them being able to try and do something with the majority actually being, yeah, life-giving more so mm -hmm. than death. And so it, but it feels like it's a way to respond in a positive way based on where they, where, where someone might be. Um, yeah. And uh, well, well, Anne, I really appreciate your time and I'm looking forward to seeing you and everyone else at NIFLA uh, this week. <laughs> so yeah, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um, yeah, I hope you have a wonderful afternoon. I just, how, how might someone who hears this, whenever they hear it, it may not be this week, right before, the con before your conference, but how might mm -hmm. someone pray for you and your team and when they're driving mm -hmm. to their, you know, they're doing their commute and they're thinking about what you're having to go through with like 50 different state constitutions and all these new laws and uh, you know people needing help across the country how might they pray for you especially as they hear this thank you jacob that's so nice um i think like how you started this segment like how do you focus like you know, to pray that Nifla really is focused on things that God wants us to be focused on and can anticipate where the attacks are coming in the future so we can help strengthen centers would be a great one. Um, and, you know, we spend a lot of time praying for pregnancy centers because they're the ones on the front line. They're seeing life and death decisions every day. Uh, you know, I can't imagine how hard that must be. So I almost feel guilty asking for prayers when it's really, you know, we're praying for them, you know, so in the hard work they do that they don't get discouraged and that they have success and that women find them. But I want to thank you too, Jacob. You do such an awesome job and you are such a good friend of NIFLA. So we want to thank you very much for what you're doing in the pro-life movement and helping centers with advertising and websites and we know you do things with excellence. Yeah, and well, thank you. And I just feel like there's a lot of, um, when it comes to legal attacks, you know, it, it's sort of like outside the comfort zone for so many directors and, and the fear can be very uh, crippling. And the fact that they have someone who can help them avoid, avoid risk and help them 
you know, when the attack comes, even when it's not um, deserved, is very um, liberating for someone to, you know, let go of a lot of anxiety by leaning on someone who is strong in that space. Mm -hmm. um, so, well, I guess to me to wrap this podcast up, would you mind, I guess, praying for the Prancy Clinics as you, as you do normally? Yes, please. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for this incredible network of pregnancy centers nationwide close to 3,000, Lord, all serving women in their communities because of their love for you, trying to protect those that bear your image, Lord, and in a battle that is way more than flesh and blood. I just ask your protection, Lord, just have angels camp around their buildings, keep their buildings safe, all the people that go in and out of there, and just make their buildings be like a light on the hill that is burning bright, so that women faced with unplanned pregnancies and their partners come to the center first before doing anything else. Let them find a, a space where they can be loved on, where they can hear truth, where they can see their baby and make a decision that will not hurt them the rest of their lives, Lord. And may all this glorify you because it's you that this is all about. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome. Thank you, Anne. It's Thank you, Jacob. God bless you. <laughs> All right. See you tomorrow. Or, or see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. <laughs> yeah. right. Our sponsor is Heritage House. Heritage House provides over 1,500 resources and tools for the pro-life movement from fetal models to yard signs to the precious feet pin. Heritage House is proud of nearly 50 years of standing shoulder to shoulder with pro-life advocates like you. See Heritage House online at www.pro.life. That's pro.life. Supporting our sponsors, like Heritage House, supports the pro-life team podcast. Thank you. Shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green. He leads me by quiet blue. Yeah, the walk through darkness valleys, you are near me. Your protection and guidance are comforting me.
way. 